Alright, this is Chandra and I'm here with another episode of the Contemporary Horsemanship Company podcast and today I was going to talk about poison cues. So that's not a term that is heard a lot in the horse world. Um, It is in the clicker training world, the dog training world because they use a lot of uh, positive reinforcement, but not so much in the horse world. But what it is, is when a cue has become poisoned is the cue... Um, will give you the behavior sometimes, but it also will give the animal tension. So like the cue itself has been come, become poisoned and then you have to change it into something else. So for example, if, um, like in a dog world, if you have asked your dog to like come to you and you ha- you're like, oh, come here. Like, I want you to come over here. But then if they don't come and you're still saying come and then the dog comes to you and they didn't come to you or they did something bad or whatever. And then you smack them or you're mean to them or you put them in their crate. Like there's some bad um, or negative um, situation that happens to the dog afterward. Pretty soon that come cue is going to be poison. So like the dog might still come to you. He might be hesitant. He might not come at all. Um, and that people saying come to him. So like if he was in a, with a different trainer, a different owner or something like that. And someone was like, Oh, come here. Um, he might not. So that cue is poison. And he has that like negative connotation that goes with that just because of his, his experiences. So in that situation, you're gonna have to retrain it. So use a comp- completely different cue altogether. So you could be like, um, you could say here or say the dog's name and say here, or just a different word. Um, and, and retrain it positively so the dog associates it with something positive and not negative and wants, makes him want to come to you. So if you say, oh, you know, Flynn here, and then once he gets to, to me, I give him a treat. So, and he consistently gets that. Then the Flynn here is not negative. It's always, it's a positive cue and he responds to it well. Okay, so I wanted to give a definition on what exactly was a poison cue because I wanted to make sure I was describing it right and it wasn't like super confusing. So I have, I'm going to reference the definition where I got it from. So I have a book by Laura Van Arndog Ba, which I'm probably messing up horribly, but it's called Fired Up, Frantic, and Freaked Out. It's about dogs and it's about um, clicker training dogs and training, it says on her cover, training crazy dogs from over the top to under control. And I wanted to read it because I thought it might help apply some things to horses and I would learn more about just positive reinforcement in general, which I did. And it was very interesting. So I would recommend it. But, um, the definition from poison cue is where I, I got it from this book. So And I hadn't really heard a lot about it before, but once I read about it, I was like, oh, okay, this is, I had seen other behaviors in horses and I'm like, this is where this is coming from. This makes sense now. So I'm gonna give you the definition and then I will tell you how I feel like it applies to horses. So, so she said she has a little section here of on poison cue. So I'm just going to read the parts out of the book. So I've already, this is where I've got it from, from her book. So I did not make this up. Um, these aren't my words basically. So it says a poison cue for our purposes is any cue which predicts an undesirable or ambiguous outcome for the learner. So that would be the horse, the dog, whoever. So then sometimes the signal and her example is a sit, 
like my example a second ago was the come and I felt like I had gotten it right, but I wanted to make sure that's why I'm reading you this definition here. So sometimes the signal sit is followed by positive reinforcement, which could be a good boy, petting, treat, something the dog likes or the horse likes. Um, And then sometimes uh, by positive punishment and negative reinforcement. So sometimes the signal is followed by positive reinforcement. Sometimes the signal is followed by positive punishment. And sometimes the signal is uh, followed by negative reinforcement. So, and positive punishment in her example here is the handler presses on the dog's hips while pulling up on the collar and releasing the pressure after the dog sits. So she goes on to say, why would this be a problem? Some trainers advise that using both desired and undesired consequences help the dog to learn faster and better. Then she says, while I haven't seen any research to support that, we do have indications that the blend of positive and negative reinforcement can dampen learning and inhibit the learner's enthusiasm. Um, More importantly, for the agitated dog, a poison cue introduced more ambiguity and more stress into the scenario, which is exactly what he does not need. A dog who is already having trouble focusing for any reason will not be aided by adding more stress. Any signal which carries an implicit threat, as a poison cue does, will of course also carry some stress. Um, She goes on and says, I'm not aware of any definite definitive goodness research on the subject but have seen the the same dogs near threshold respond correctly to new clean cues and lose control at old poison cues which i also see in horses um i don't really train dogs i have a dog um but i don't train dogs (laughs) um how do you know if the cue is poisoned? And here's her examples. The learner is reluctant to begin the training session. The learner shows visible signs of stress in the training session or at the presentation of the cue. Behavior breaks down, increased latency, lower precision, slower speed following the cue, and behavior breaks down preceding the cue when the learner can predict the cue is coming. So because of these effects, while a poison cue is still technically a cue and can often still be used as a reinforcer, its use will produce significantly different behavior and, important for us, a sig- significantly different, different attitude toward the proceedings. As we are trying to reduce the dog's emotional involvement and bring him to a calmer, more rational state of mind, it's not worth, worth risk-taking. So, and my dog is barking in the background. Um, so, um... Let's see, she's got a reference here as well. Okay, so the the learner is the one to define the severity of the threat. Many humans think physical manipulation of a dog is probably no big deal compared to the pinched collars or electric shock. So she's going talking about negative reinforcement. But to many dogs, particularly anxious dogs, it can be very aversive. So behaviors become more reliable and calming when there is no ambiguity. I'm really having a hard time saying that. Ambiguous reinforcement history attached to them. So if the animal knows exactly what's going to happen every time you present the cue or ask ask with the cue, then they're not going to be as worried. So um, like the example with the sit, like if you always ask with the sit with like a target or something and they always are going to sit and they're not going to be pushed or punished in any way and there's no pressure applied to them, then they're going to be more open to that and feel safer and more calm. So I wanted to kind of talk about how that applies to more so horses than dogs. I just found it really interesting in this book um, because it it can transfer over to horses. Um, 
so the the main thing is that I that that I kind of figured this out or kind of put some some things together to to make this make sense for me is because I had been using negative reinforcement. I've done that for years, and um, I've done like natural horsemanship type stuff, like not traditional training. There's not a lot of you know, not a ton of pressure, but there is some pressure and you've always been taught to just, you know, let the horse figure it out. And, you know, there's different methods of doing it. And I feel like mine is pretty low, like low impact, low pressure, as least amount of stress as I can possibly do. Um, but in that, even, even with that, like some horses can't handle that or can't handle the different outcomes so what I had been doing is mixing. So I've had used positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. And I was like, oh, well, I might as well use both. You know, what's better than using one is using both, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, and I have, it has worked on some horses and, but these horses are probably more, um, like they're more relaxed and mentally like stable in their environment and their bodies and their training than others. So I feel like that that can work and it has worked, but I don't think that it works for every horse. So like, this is going to be a little bit of a sidetrack, but, um, that's why having like one specific program for every horse, especially with negative reinforcement does not work because not every horse is going to respond in the same way. So, um, and I've had quite a few horses where I'm like, okay, this has worked for everybody else. Why doesn't it work for you? And I have to figure out what is a better way to do it. And I feel like a lot of trainers will be like, okay, well, this isn't working for this horse. So I'm going to make it work twice as hard. We're going to come out here and work two, three times a day until it just kind of gives up. And I really don't want to do that. I don't want the horse to just, you know, feel like they're just doing stuff so that I get away from them sooner. Like, I just don't want that. I want to have like a partnership and we're together and we trust each other. And I just don't like that you have to work so hard at it. You know what I mean? Like, not that I'm not um, opposed to working hard. Obviously, everything that's worth having is going to be worked hard for. I don't want to take the easy way out, but it's like any other relationship, like with people, if you're really like working really hard and you're struggling and you're just like, I cannot make this work, you know, what's going on? Like maybe that relationship isn't meant for you. You know what I mean? Like, um, like if you struggle and struggle to have a relationship with someone, like sometimes it's just not going to work out. So I just don't want, um, you know, if I'm working at something with a horse, like maybe that's just not the technique that that horse needs. Instead of shoving it down their throat and doing it twice or three times as much, I should try something else because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same result or different result. So why would I do that? You know, so like if my horse, you know, I've taught all my horses to canter in the round pen with the whip and I pressure them, they go forward. Then I have one that I pressure them with the whip, nothing happens. And I'm like, I've done this with all my horses. What's wrong with this one? Do I put them in the round pen three times a day and make them go forward and just whip the crap out of them and, and like make sure that they learn how to do this? Or do I figure out something else that um, could work like 
following a target or going over a jump in the trot and breaking into the camera, going over a pole, going out in the um, of an arena and, and having a bigger space or in a pasture, like thinking of other things, having this horse go to a cone, just like thinking of new situations to bring about that behavior versus like, you know, this is my method, do, 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 do this because I know it works. And I feel like I've gotten stuck in that quite a bit because I'm like, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do this and it's not working. So, and I've gotten frustrated in that too. So then if we're always trying to do the same thing we've always done, we're just both going to be frustrated. You and the horse, like it's not going to work out well. So that was my little sidetrack, but I feel like that's where the poison cue came from. Um, because one of my Mustangs is just very, very sensitive and, I'm, and I've been, you know, the expen- uh, Mustangs have been an experiment. So I got two Mustangs. I was like, okay, um, I've never had Mustangs before. <laughs> so that was your first obstacle. Then I was like, oh, well, I've never done this before. Let's try doing negative reinforcement, which I know how to do, um, not specifically with Mustangs. Um, and then let's do some positive reinforcements, which, which I've started doing with my domestic horses, but I've only been doing for... Um, let's see, at the time when I got the Mustangs, maybe a year, maybe two, something like that. So I'm fairly green at that too. And I'm like, let's, let's try all three of these things and let's see what happens. And so, um, like, it's like a, getting a green rider for a green horse is like not a great idea. Like I have enough experience, like, okay, like to keep myself safe, but it also made me very frustrated. Um, and probably some of my horses, one of them more frustrated than the other. But for me, since I did know what I was doing as far as training regular horses with negative reinforcement and keeping myself safe, I felt like it was a really, it's a definitely been a really good learning experience for me. Um, I'm definitely not recommending doing the same thing, if you, especially if you have no experience or you don't know what you're doing with horses. That's not a good idea. But pushing yourself enough to where you have to try new things. And I think a lot of horses who are difficult um, or, you know, whatever word we want to, you call it difficult, hard to train, you know, dumb or whatever that we call our horses. um, Those are the ones you can either give up and be like, okay, well, you know, I've tried this, this thing. Maybe you try a couple of things. And then you're like, okay, well, this horse just can't be reached. You just got to keep figure, finding new things until you can get to them. So that's what my Mustangs have done is I've, I've had to try so many new things and like get outside my comfort zone and like experience new things. And it, it just, it, everybody needs to do that for sure. Um, it just opens your mind a bit, but that's really where I ended up finding the positive reinforcement and kind of going more to that side and I've even more recently been like, oh, wow, this isn't working. And I'm, and the reason that it's not working is because of this poison cue. So after that whole thing, um, my example for my poison cue is my one of my Mustangs, Atlas. He will, like, I'll have, like, okay, so for leading, I'll be like, okay, let's put, I put pressure on the lead rope and then I'll have a target and he can touch target. Does great with that, like, most of the time, fantastic. Loves to get the target. Great. 
So um, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to mix them. So sometimes, you know, he can follow the target. Sometimes he'll get a treat. Sometimes I'll just kind of put pressure in and I'll release and then we'll do something else. So sometimes he will lead great and sometimes he'll just freak out and want to run away, run a, um, just not stand still. And it's just, I feel like that's the poison cue. Sometimes the result is good. Sometimes the result is bad. So I really need to reteach the whole pressure thing without the poison cue. So that's why I'm kind of talking about it. Like if you're aware that this is happening, then you can stop it and fix it or never start it to begin with. Cause now I have to redo this. So it's going to be a learning experience and it's not the end of the world. Um, but for someone who doesn't have as much experience or, you know, doesn't have the right setup and stuff like that, it can really be very bad for the horse. Maybe that needs to go to a different home or it can be all kinds of things, but this is my situation with him. So, um, what I originally wanted to talk about when I wanted to talk about poison cues is how they most often come about with horses. So a lot of people will say, Hey, um, like I got this horse and the one that I mostly see is like, Oh, I get this horse that was either a riding horse, a lesson horse, a horse off the track. And they've always been ridden a certain way. Then they get to their new home, their new training environment, and the um, owner wants to switch it up. Like, okay, well, we've been riding him in a bridle, and he's just, you know, not progressing, not doing things the way I think. So I'm like, let's figure something out. And that's where you get the people who are open to different things. Let's try him in a hackamore. I see so many people who are like, I put him in a hackamore, and he loves it. My thoroughbred that came off the track loves it. He has a jumping hackamore, which is basically just a um, nose band. Like it's just a thicker nose band. Like it sounds kind of scary, but it's not mechanical. It's like a side pole. Um, he goes so much better in that. And unfortunately, um, he, I do dressage with him and we can't not ride in a bit. So he does get in his jumping hackamore as much as possible, but it's a different horse. And I've definitely improved with him. I found the right bet for him. And he, I'm trying to make it as positive as I possibly can, but it is night and day difference. Um, but you see this all the time, like, oh, I switched to a hackamore and he was great. Or it can go the other way around. Maybe he's only been in a hackamore. I switched to a bit and he was amazing. Or just switching bits, like the different functions of them. Like then they're like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. White horse is so much better now that he's in this other bit. Um, but what I've also seen, which I feel like is the biggest um, like the most noticeable thing that I kind of connected all these things together is when people are like, I rode him without a bridle and he was amazing. I was like, poison cue, <laughs> like you got rid of your poison cue and you were good to go. So the horse was okay with like, you know, the being ridden part. He was already okay with that. Maybe he had some poison cues with that are associated with the bridle. So stopping, steering, collection, other things, but those are your main things. Like something in there is poison and it's definitely going to be easier to poison if you're only using negative reinforcement and positive punishment, which is the majority of horse training. Um, so like, let's, for example, like this horse came off the track, he's been ridden in a bridle. He, you know, this is all he's known. He's known pressure. And sometimes there's a release, sometimes there's not. And, you know, it makes the horse anxious because he doesn't know what's going to come. Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? When you take that away and you put on like a neck rope and the horse is like, oh, 
Okay. And then if you're not asking things in like a different manner, like if you are just riding and you're very clear with your neck rope, usually you're very advanced. So you can be clear once you're to the point where you're taking off the bridle. Um, and then these horses are completely different horses. And that's how that's happening is they're, they had poison cues and now they have new associations and they're completely different. So that can be with anything, changing the saddle, changing the bit, the bridle, going bridleless. All of these things um, can be the, a poison cue. And then sometimes it doesn't even need to necessarily be a cue. It can be a, in an environment. So like your horse is, you know, maybe in a small pasture and, you know, doing arena work. And maybe he would thrive more in a different environment. And that's not necessarily a poison cue, but it is a change and a difference for the horse. So like if I was just riding my horse in the arena and he's kind of like just burn out and bored and I take him and, and I'm on a trail ride now and he's just oh he's so much better like that's what arena sour horses are they're just sour about the arena you need to make it better it's just become poison you need to make it more positive positive. and people are like oh well I he's great on the trails yeah he doesn't do anything on the trails <laughs> there's no there's no negativeness there at all the, going in the arena is just a, a form of a poison cue it's just a poisoned environment like you have too much pressure there and not enough positive so the horse doesn't want to go in the arena. They, they just want to go on a trail ride. And they're great on a trail ride because it's not aversive. So all those examples are just like more open examples of a poison cue. And just the, like the environment and environmental changes. And we kind of really need to pay attention to what all those little details mean to our horses. Because sometimes we're just like, oh, well, we put a bridle on, we put a saddle on, we ride. But we have to be really specific, like, does this saddle fit? Is this saddle a good choice for my horse's confirmation? Is it good for me? Because if you break it down into the details, you can really make sure that everything is going correctly. So instead of saying, okay, I have my horse, I have my bridle, I have my saddle, like, let's ride. How about we make sure, okay, does the saddle fit you? Does the saddle fit the horse? Is the blanket clean? Is your girth clean? Is it in the right position? Okay, then I would move on to something else. Like, does the bit fit? Is the horse okay with the bit? Does your head stall fit? Does your bridle fit? Like, make sure all these things are good. Is he working well in that bridle or bit or whatever um, before you move on to other things? Um, and we're very quick to just blame the horses. Like, he's just, you know, he's being bad. He doesn't get it. He's dumb. He's, you know. But horses don't plan. They don't understand the future they just are doing what is the easiest route for them so if that means ignoring your cues and running through your hands like that's what it's going to be especially if they're charged with um energy and nerves and they're scared like they're gonna go to flight or flight fight and usually it's flight and they're just running away so we kind of need to look into ourselves like what are we doing what are we training is this cue okay and, and then what can we do to fix it? So um, once you've figured out that something is become a poison cue or maybe just really aversive environment or a piece of equipment or whatever it might be, then we got to look and figure out different options, which really, like for me, I like le learning and researching and finding new things. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here, like training and doing things like this, because I love the research part. I love the learning part. Like, I'm like, oh, I learned a new thing. So now I have another thing that I can try. Um, so I feel like I don't get as stuck as most people. Um, but then I, when I do get stuck, man, I'm like, cause I'm like, I should know better now because 
I have these 10 things I could do and none of them are working. But maybe it requires the 11th thing or the 15th thing that I need to figure out. So, um, but once you kind of break it down and figure it out, like for my example for Atlas, I'm just going to go back and let's pretend that you don't know anything and, and I need to make sure all my poison cues are gone. Because if I just keep going with them, he's not going to be completely relaxed mentally and then you're really not getting anything accomplished. So like I tell that to my clients, I'm like, yeah, we could be cantering him and we could be trail riding him or we could be doing whatever. But mentally, like you're going to have to go back and fix the problem regularly because maybe he'll be good for a couple days maybe it'll be a couple weeks or whatever but it's gonna come back up because that root of the problem is not gone and that's where your poison cue could be like sometimes he's good sometimes he's bad that's a poison cue (laughs) so um that's what it really made me learn about is I need to and let's because I've always been like that I'm like let's go you know, step one, let's figure this out. Okay, is he good with this? All right, move on to the next thing. So I need to go back and make sure everything's positive with him and then come back through. So, and I feel like a part of me didn't want to completely get away from the negative reinforcement. It still doesn't. I feel like there is definitely a place for that. And it's definitely a good method of horse training as long as it's applied correctly. But I feel like what dictates that is going to be your horse's mentality and not necessarily, it shouldn't be not necessarily how you feel about it. So um, like, for example, I have a quarter horse. She does just fine with negative reinforcement, but she's got the mentality already. Like she's just very chill. She's like, yeah, this is fine. Okay. She's just a laid back horse and a laid back person can be like that too. You could, you can pretty much deal with a lot of stressors, that wouldn't that does they don't affect you that much. I feel like I'm a fairly laid back person, so like, you know, if I'm at work and someone's talking about me, I'm like, cool, that's great. I don't really care, <laughs> and I just kind of go all about my day. But if you and this is probably not the best example, but it makes sense and it kind of connects it to people. But if you are the kind of person who doesn't deal well with stress, and some people deal better with it than others, and that's horses do the same thing. So if you don't deal with well with stress or like things happening to you maybe someone's talking to you about work and you want to scream at them and you know yell at them or send them dirty messages or give them dirty looks or try and fight them in the parking lot after work <laughs> like different people can have different reactions to the same thing so um that's this the thing we need to figure out with horses is okay before I start training this horse where is my horse mentally? And Pirelli's actually got that. I don't love everything they do. I don't agree with everything they do, but I like that they have their horsonality thing where they're like, okay, what horse am I starting out with? So I don't, um, and that I think where you can really make that into a better situation is like, okay, maybe my horse is more sensitive. Maybe we stick more to the positive reinforcement and really build his, um, build up his confidence and things like that. Um, because you can be very good at negative reinforcement and you have to be to, to do, um, and to train a a sensitive horse correctly because your release and timing is everything. It's very, very, very important. So the better you are at it, like, you know, you can train a sensitive horse. So I feel like if you have a more sensitive horse, what I'm going to be doing is doing more positive reinforcement with him. So the more, 
you know, resilient the horse is, I can probably add in a bit more negative reinforcement, again, being careful and making sure I'm releasing correctly and being consistent and doing it correctly, not just, you know, oh, my horse is good, I can do anything to it, we're not going to do that, but I just thought that it was an important topic to talk about, and it, it was interesting, and I had seen some different things where I was like, oh my, like, that makes sense, like, you just had to change something like change a piece of tack or something and the horse is just completely different. I thought that was very interesting. So hopefully that makes sense and isn't too crazy, but that's my spiel on poison cues. I'm going to continue learning and figuring things out about it. And um, if I get a whole bunch